book of Jude, starting verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Oh, Father, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the letter of Jude. We thank you for your provision uh, to your church for this letter, the way that you've kept and preserved it for us. Lord, as we now approach your word this evening, it is our, our deepest desire that you would meet with us by means of your spirit. Lord, that you would teach us and that you would indeed do above all that we could think or ask. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, several uh, months after I graduated from high school, I was given the opportunity to serve as an intern uh, with some missionaries in uh, Ireland. And so I was able to spend a couple of weeks uh, in the country of Ireland serving the, the local church over there across the, across the ocean. And that was the, my first opportunity to uh, fly in a plane over into another country. It was my first time passing over the Atlantic. And uh, I don't particularly enjoy plane rides all that much. They make me a little bit nervous. But in the back of my mind, I've always had the thought that if anything were to go wrong, well, we can always make an emergency landing uh, at an airport or perhaps in a, in a wide-open wide field. And yet, when we uh, flew over the Atlantic... I was very worried because I thought, if something goes wrong, we don't really have anywhere where we can make a very easy emergency landing. And uh, as I boarded the plane, I found out that there were little uh, TV monitors in the back of every, every seat, and so that you could either watch TV, you could watch movies, but the default screen was a, uh, a screen that tracked the progress of the flight. So there was a little icon of the plane, and there was a trajectory line going from Chicago, Illinois, all the way to Western Ireland. And I felt fine as long as we were over the continental United States, and then all of a sudden we jumped out over the ocean. And uh, for the next half an hour, hour on the hour, I would uh, look at the progress of the plane and, and think, huh, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? And that is a a question that uh, Jude's original hearers might have been asking after they have gotten all the way through reading Jude's letter. Uh, In our time and study of the letter of Jude, we've seen that Jude has traced uh, the wreckage of uh, fallen angels, uh, people who, uh, God's people who were brought out of Egypt and yet then destroyed by the Lord. Uh, there, there's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of wreckage throughout the letter of Jude. And we've seen in, in verse 1 how uh, Jude has addressed the believers as those who are called and kept for Jesus Christ. He's discussed how the uh, fallen angels are, are kept for judgment. And then in verse 21, we saw how Jude exhorted his readers to keep themselves in the love of God. And some of them might raise a hand of an objection and say, well, what if we're not able to keep ourselves in the love of God? What if, does it really depend all upon us? 
are we going to make it? And we see that in Jude's doxology, he pulls together many different themes that have been addressed in his letter. And he teaches that the believers most assuredly will make it. They most assuredly will make it. And the, the doctrine or the proposition that I'd like to put before us this evening is this. True believers may be assured that they will be kept and delivered into the kingdom by the triune God. True believers may be assured that they will be kept and delivered into the kingdom by the triune God. And so with these two short verses, I've divided it into, uh, into three sections. First, we've got God's keeping in verse 24. Secondly, God's presenting, also in verse 24. And then finally, God's greatness in verse 25. And so we'll look at each of these briefly and then make a few points of application from Jude's doxology. First, God's keeping, where he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. In the scriptures, we we see that there's a few different types of, of keeping. Uh, a few different types of keeping that, uh, that God does. Uh, first, we see that there's a keeping from a, from a specific sin. Uh, just recently, there was uh, someone who was sharing from Genesis chapter 20 uh, that it is God who kept Abimelech from sinning against him. If you recall, Abraham and uh, Sarah made their way uh, down to Abimelech's kingdom, and Abimelech saw Sarah and he wanted to, to take her. And uh, Abraham didn't put up too much of a fuss. And finally, God shows up to Abraham in a dream. And after a bit of an exchange, he says, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, for it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So in Genesis 20, God keeps an individual from a specific sin. We see also there's a keeping that God does from temporal dangers, such as in Psalm 121, verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. So that is the the temporal keeping. And we can see from uh, Jude's letter that, sure, that that fits the the context. It could be keeping from a specific sin or keeping from uh, danger or a specific temporal uh, trouble. And yet, what fits best is not just a keeping from a specific sin or uh, some painful event, but rather keeping from final apostasy, keeping from uh, finally turning away from the faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints. That is what seems to be first and foremost upon Jude's mind when he writes now to him who is able to keep you. So we want to make a little bit of a clarification When Jude says that uh, God is able to keep these Christians, does it refer to anyone who makes a profession of faith at all? Or is it a little bit more narrow? Well, we can see that it's actually those who have true faith in Christ. Remember from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says very clearly, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. The church right now is made up of both the visible and the invisible church, those who are true believers and those who are not. But it is the elect, it is true believers who are going to be kept. And as the the Westminster Confession of uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism 
Question 85 says, What doth God require of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin? And it says, To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requireth of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicated to us the benefits of redemption. So God's elect, those who truly belong to Him, God will give them the the gift of faith so that they're able to receive and rest upon Christ. They will repent and believe at the beginning and, and continue that out throughout their entire life. And they will be those who are diligent in the outward means of grace. Those are those who will be kept by God. As we see in 1 Peter 1.5, Peter speaks about how God guards believers. It says that he guards them, that they are guarded by God's power through faith. So that faith is given to them and that the elect will continue to believe throughout their life. So he will keep them. They're not going to fall short of the of the finish line, if you will. Secondly, let's look at the presenting, God's presenting. And when we think about presenting, we, we ought to see that it, it says in the text that he's able to uh, present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Uh, blamelessness in the Old Testament it shows up in, in various different contexts, but we can think especially of the, of the sacrificial system that we find in the Pentateuch. And there we, we learn that it was the, the sacrifices that needed to be blameless, without blemish, not one flaw if they were going to be uh, presented before God as a sacrifice. Uh, there was to be no receiving of, of deformed or maimed or mutilated subpar offerings. And what we see in the New Testament is that it is the believers who are the uh, ones who are to be made as offerings before God. And we see also that Christ will see to it that no subpar offerings are given to God. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 24 through 27, when Paul is speaking of husbands and wives, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, the way that word for blemish could be translated is uh, blameless, so that she would be blameless. So that just as Joshua in the book of Zechariah was uh, clothed with clean, clean clothes, thus will be the people of God. When will this presentation be that Jude speaks of? Well, it appears that this presentation will occur at the last day, which is often also understood as the time when there will be the the resurrection, the the dead will be judged, and believers will stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so that the day of judgment for believers, it is not to be a, a terrifying day, because we know that there is no charge that can be leveled against the elect of God when they are in Christ. 
Uh, there's a Dutch theologian named Helmus Brackel who wrote about how the day of judgment was to be a day of joy. And he said this, I'll read a brief quote from him. He said, speaking of Christ, He will confess before the angels and all men that He loves you, that He is your surety, has atoned for all your sins, and that you are an heir of eternal life. Oh, how great will be your glory then when you will be acknowledged by our great judge as His bride. And when he will usher you into the house of his father, where there there will be nothing but light, glory, holiness, and joy. Therefore, lift up your head out of all your sorrows and rejoice. I know, I believe everyone in this room has been to joyous events such as as a graduation or a wedding for a loved one. And if you're particularly close to the, the person who is, who is getting married or, getting gra- or graduating, you know that it is a day that fills you with the light. It is a day that fills you with joy. It is a day that is uh, burned into your memory as a, as a wonderful day. And yet when you, when you take hold of the best memory of a wedding or a graduation or whatever celebration that you can experience on this side of eternity... It cannot hold a candle to the joy that will be experienced when we stand before God blameless and we are declared openly before the entire creation, these are my people and they are blameless. It will indeed be a day of great joy. Next, let's turn to verse 25 and look briefly at God's greatness. Here we see that uh, God is called our Savior. And that might stand out to some of us because very often when we, when we think about our Savior, we think first and foremost it's, it's Christ. And yet there's a handful of texts in the New Testament that identify God as our Savior, such as Titus chapter 1, verse 3. And in, in the Scripture our, our salvation is a, is a Trinitarian salvation, so that it is the Father who sends the Son, the Son who accomplishes our salvation, the Spirit that applies our salvation. In the Old Testament particularly, we see God identified as the Savior of His people. So glory is to be ascribed to God, our only Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we see that four different uh, attributes are ascribed to God here. The first will be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. So that glory, all all the honor, it will belong to God and God alone. Everyone will will render it to Him. Majesty, this is a a term that appears in the the Greek Old Testament in in Deuteronomy chapter 32.3. It means something like majesty or, or, or greatness. Only a few occurs a few times in our, our New Testament. And then finally, dominion and authority. And very often these are distinguished as uh, dominion is, is like power. It's the ability to rule, whereas authority would be the, the right to rule. And sometimes there are, there are people in the world where perhaps they have the ability to rule, but they don't have the right to rule. Or they have the right, but not the ability But with our God, He has both, both the right and the ability. 
And he says this is for before all time, now, and forever. So when would that be? That would be for all time. All time. And we have the, the privilege in our, in our society to elect uh, government officials. We have the privilege and ability to uh, elect our president so that if we decide that we like our president, we can choose to reelect him. For some reason, we don't uh, approve of him as a as society. We can choose not to reelect him. And yet, with God, there is no there is no electing. He is God for all time. He has dominion and authority for all time. And the good thing is that he he uses that for his glory and the good of his people. And that will not change. So that the God who is for you today in Jesus Christ will forever be for you for all of eternity. Let's now just take a few different points of applications from this doxology here. The first would be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that our salvation is not begun by grace and finished by our works. Because each of us know if our salvation was begun by the grace of God and it was finished by our own strength, our own spiritual willpower, we would fall short, every single one of us. None would be saved. So we fully confess that if our salvation was of ourselves only, we would be lost. The second point of application would be diligence. We see in the Scriptures that God will keep His people. From God's side, the doctrine of the preservation of the saints is that God keeps them. From our side, it is that we persevere, that God will see to it that His people persevere. And yet He has been pleased to allow this to happen by the use of means. As Peter said, we're guarded by God's power through faith. And so we should be, of all people, those who are diligent to make use of the means of grace, diligent to make use of what we know is going to be a means by which our faith is strengthened. And the flip side of that coin would be, as believers, we need to make sure that we are uh, dutiful of identifying things in our life where we know for our own personalities and for who who we are as individuals, that we know is something that is going to weaken our faith. And then it needs to be cut out and cast aside. And then finally, third point of application would be meditation. That is, meditation on the the truths of these passages, these verses here, that it is God who will keep you that He has made promises to you and that He will present you. So that in the midst of whatever trials we might face, we know as believers the the best is yet to come. And that it is the power of the triune God that is backing our salvation. So that if the triune God is able to, to fail in His purposes, it is possible for His elect to be lost. I'll close now with a... Uh, reading from 1 Corinthians 5, 23 and 24, where Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you are faithful. Lord, that you are faithful in sending forth your Son. Lord, that you are faithful in giving us the, the Holy Spirit. Lord, we do pray that you would keep us close to yourself, that you enable us to make use of the means that you have given to strengthen our faith, knowing that you are faithful and you will surely do it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.